It's recently been proven that texting while walking is actually relatively safe, but still quite annoying. This is DFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash, an off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Welcome to TFG Unbuttoned. John Nash in New York with my good friend and co-host Tim Bennett in Philadelphia. We want to thank Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, for being a part of Unbuttoned. We want to thank all of you for subscribing, liking, downloading, listening, and of course, visiting Critics' Choice and shopping there for all the great deals that they have on lots of media that you just can't get anywhere else. So here we are in a new week. We are days away from the official end of summer. I'm enjoying this type of weather a great deal. You know, it's dry and warm, and the humidity seems to be gone for a while. (laughs) And I know it's only like a matter of time before the leaves are falling off the trees, but this is like a special time of year. Do you agree? Oh, I totally agree. I had a friend years ago that always told me, they said, September is the best month uh, of the year in any part of the country. So they said, no matter where you live, September really is the the key month, and I, I I tend to agree. I mean, I it's not um, there's a sense of renewal, and there's also uh, kind of the wind down of summer. The ocean or the water, the lakes are still warm, and uh, it's crisp at night and warm during the day. Shorts, shorts and sweatshirt weather. Yeah, shorts and sweatshirts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, did you have a good weekend and a good week? I did. You know, I um, I I, I, I yeah, I did. I did. You know, I was busy. We had a busy week, and uh, you and I did some work. I was down in Rehoboth for part of it, and uh, the weather down there was was uh, was quite nice all week. Although I didn't get to do anything, I didn't meaning I didn't go to the beach or anything. People tend to think it's probably the same with you when you go you go up north a little bit that uh, it's just drinking and eating and fun and games. But um, no, quite the opposite. It's uh, laundry and dishes and cleaning and looking at your property and wondering what you have to spend to keep it up to snuff. You have to repair this. That piece of wood's rotted. Bob spent a good portion of the weekend, and he was happily doing it, replacing these frames of the windows out at our guest house because that building was that just has to keep standing, right. but it's certainly not to code. But he was rep- removing some rotted wood and replacing it with new stuff, putting tar paper on. And, you know, yeah, that's what property ownership, whether you're upstate or you're um, whether you're in the country or whether you're at the shore, you are basically, you know, it's just like your normal life. But you're, you got to do things right. No, absolutely. I had to go try to close my door. Mike, did you hear Trixie barking? Uh, no, no. Really. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, she's she's noisier than it appears. Then I always I always feel bad about that, knowing that we do this out of our out of our home offices, and sometimes you can't control the pets. So. <laughs> well, she's allowed to bark. She's an old gal. She's no gal. She, yeah, she can do that. Yeah. No. Last week, as Tim mentioned, we had um we had for small business owners and for uh, people who own their own shops and stuff, we had a what I would call a somewhat nail-biter of a week, which resolved, I think, in, in a favorable way. But um, it reminded me once again that doing business and being in business or being uh, having a career in a corporation, a lot of it relies on, on proper use of language. And I don't mean to your point and all the polite stuff. I just mean f- how we identify things, how we speak about things, 
and and communication in general and who's in the loop who's not in the loop and who has the ability to to come in and change everything simply by putting their foot down and um you know i i would say that at the end of the week i was extremely pleased with how you and i had um, resolved some of these issues and thread the needle and i think it comes down frankly to the longer you're doing what we do the more times you've seen things like this pop up, they're never the same, but there's always an analog that helps you solve the problem. And it's why I, I kind of question this whole thing of, you know, this youth-driven approach to everything. Like, as you get older, you're somehow less worthy of being in the workplace, when in fact, it's quite the opposite. We, we have valuable, insanely valuable people skills, and we know how to solve certain problems, like some of the ones we encountered. Uh, which weren't really problems. They're just, you know, this communication stuff. Yeah, they were still unnerving. I mean, because, uh, but it goes back to the important thing you said, which I think is sadly lacking overall in this day and age, and that's communication. Because reading a text or reading an email um, does not have the nuance of how you would hear it on a phone call or face-to-face with somebody. And I think it, it opens up the opportunity for lots of miss misdiagnosis of issues or problems because once you and I got on the phone with everybody it was like oh that makes sense but in an email form you know Rome was you know Rome was burning so yeah (laughs) it was it was almost ashes at that point so yeah I mean so it's you're right it's really about communication and making sure that you you have an open dialogue with people and at the end of the day, business should be enjoyable for everyone, and you all want to do good work and 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 have a good work life balance. But and uh, I want to also just have you tell me uh, for our listeners the story that you concluded last week with. Uh, so Tim was director of advertising and marketing at Subaru of America for many many years, probably fifteen years. Worked with um, primarily one main agency out of Texas, and then brought on um, another one out of New York, and that happens. Uh, Brands change agencies, sometimes frequently, sometimes not so frequently. But um, the comment you made was relating to -to face-to-face meetings. No matter how far this agency was from from the Subaru corporate headquarters, they made an effort to come up, I don't know how often, but you said to to one of the account leads, you know, you don't have to do this, and you could take the story from there. Yeah, no, our agency, we were based in Philadelphia for all practical purposes, and the agency was in Dallas, Texas. And uh, they used to make these trips. And, and it, anyone who knows air travel knows that the Dallas to Philly route is not not an easy one to do. Very limited options. So they would get, uh, they jump on a plane in the morning and then get to Philadelphia sometime late morning, early, maybe early afternoon, lunchtime, have a meeting and then head back at four or five o'clock back to Dallas. And I just couldn't imagine because it's a three or four hour, hour flight with a time change anyway. And I said to the one of the lead guys, I said, you know, you don't have to come up here. We could do this by phone. He just shook his head. And he said, no, I can't. We can't do this. And I said, what do you mean this? And he said, sitting together with a group of everybody and watching the room, seeing who responds to what, seeing who's engaged, seeing who's turned off by the creative or the ideas we're doing. He said, that informs a lot when you can sit in a, in a group of uh, 15 people, 10 people that you can't get on a conference call. You know, you're not going to, even if you did one of those Skype things or something, you still don't get this, the same nuance of being in the room with people. And no, uh, and that's, and that's, uh, I'll, well, I'll, I'll leave it there. But for me, that was, I loved hearing the story because I knew the partner, the uh, agency we're referring to, and I, and I had not known that they had done that so often, but you know, 
But that's simply just a fact. When you're in a room with six or seven other people, you can read the room. You get a lot of information that you would never get off a video conference call or something. So sign of the times. Hey, everybody, just get in front of your clients more often because it makes a huge difference. All right. We have uh, three stories for you today. They're pretty short. Um, The first one is about a credit union that's launching in Michigan that is the first LGBTQ credit union. It was chartered to open uh, soon, and uh, they're naming it Superbia Credit Union. Now, I think this is really cool, but before I continue, um, (laughs) I wonder if you know what I'm going to say. What is your thought on all this? I think it's cool, but the butt's a big one. my, My first comment, and I write them in red, horrible name. Yeah, I, that I, was that was I, the only thing I didn't like about the story was the name. Yeah, I, I thought it was just a ridiculous name. I mean, if it was Rainbow Credit, I would have even laughed harder. But I, um, I thought here we go again. It, Superbia, S U P E R B I A. I don't know. I'm sure it has some sort of long explanation as to why it happened. I, you and I have done. I thought you and I have done stories like this before, or maybe people have announced they were going to launch these sort of credit credit uh, unions and just never did. It, they say they're the first one, but do you remember us doing stories about other people saying they're going to do this? I remember stories that we've profiled, or companies we profiled or brands we profiled that had the intent to do what these folks are doing, but you, I think you're 100% right. I, th- I don't think we ever got to an actual up-and-running Right. LGBTQ focused credit unions. So kudos to the, this this group um, for pulling this off. I think it's a pretty cool thing. And, you know, the reasoning behind it was really quite simple. And it's that when we go into a bank or a financial institution as a couple, it's a, maybe it's two men, two women, husband, wife, whatever it is, um, there's all these explanations, even in today's age, that we have to use. Now, some, I, I would say that on many banking levels, have already accommodated this, and it's like, is this your husband? Is this your partner? But um, they just think this is a more, uh, an easier kind of dialogue to have when you're welcome, when you know that the people you're talking to expect you to be a gay couple, and they're going to provide financial services accordingly. Um, and I guess my only last takeaway from this is that it's 2019 and we still have a conversation about making customers feel comfortable if they're LGBTQ. That was something you and I could have talked about back in the 1990s or the early 2000s. Yeah. And there, there are other banks that do, do um, ask for the, the business from the LGBT uh, consumer. And so I, I think that's great as well. And this, this one, I think you don't have to ask for the business because you already know that you're welcome. Um, the one thing I did scratch my head at, knowing how a lot of these groups that do this sort of thing want to give back to the community, and it's usually a percentage of profits, this one says they're going to give 30% of their profits directly back to LGBTQ organizations. That was shocking to me. It's usually 1%, 5%. Yeah. 30% is a lot. So I, you know, good for them if they could do that. But I thought that was quite a bit of the profit um, heading back into the community because running a credit union is no easy no easy task. No, no, not at all. And and I think you end that one perfectly. That's a really great uh, give back. And that that's one more reason to support Superbia. Tim and I might not like the name, but <laughs> we're not the end all be all. <laughs> so this uh, second thing, which I teased at the start of the podcast, um, is a study was done. And uh, I think it's here in New York, actually. And it's about the the safe, the relative safety of 
texting while walking. Um, and after a, a lot of study, they've concluded that no, walking while you're or texting while you're walking is no more or less dangerous than just walking. It is highly annoying. And but it, but what it did, at least from my reading of the article, was a lot of people talked about how this once again puts the blame on the pedestrian. It's it, and so when an accident occurs at an intersection, well, the pedestrian was texting and they weren't paying attention instead of the the driver of a car or a taxi or whatever it is actually being the cause or the culprit. Cyclists chimed in on this one because for for ages. Um, They've been bashed for not following the rules, for riding the wrong way, not being able, not doing all the stuff they're supposed to do. And again, it's throwing it back on the victim saying, well, it's a pedestrian or cyclist fault, not this car, which is, <laughs> which is interesting. So, you know, this just was just kind of one of those, I don't want to call it a throwaway, but it was one of those things that made me kind of smile saying, you know, here we go. The, the nanny state says, we're going to have rules about people texting and walking. Finally, someone just says, hey, let's just do a study and figure out what the hell's going on here. And it turns out that it's not such a huge thing. Yeah, my, my frustration in cities like New York, which have heavily traveled or crowded sidewalks, are the idiots, and I call them morons, that are walking and bumping into people or slowing the flow of, of, of traffic. You and I, going to get the train or going in between meetings when we've been in Manhattan, encounter it all the time. If you want to be on your phone, move to the side, like slow traffic on a highway, or just stop and not clutter up and, and walking around. I just stop. When I see somebody coming toward me that's not paying attention, looking down, I just stop, and I have them run right into me. I do it all the time. And then, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I said, oh, I guess you didn't see me. And, um, but that, that drives me crazy. I don't know if that drives you crazy, but that's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> it's one of the top of my list. In fact, I sometimes don't even bother altering my course. My head is up and I'm looking straight forward. If someone's bobbing and weaving and they almost end up in front of me, sometimes the look is surprising. Like, and, and the look I read is, why haven't you moved out of my way? The smarter ones just kind of look and chagrined. They move aside like, yeah, it's, I'm not paying attention. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, you know, New Yorkers will tell you that that even comes down to just walking. Like if we, we have this thing about tourists standing in clumps or walking in the middle of the sidewalk when, in fact, they should be off to the left or right. It's like express versus local. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe we should do a tourist lane for, on, the, on the sidewalks. <laughs> I like that one. I, I would I would vote for that. And our uh, our last piece, uh, which many of you might have seen in the news, I'm still laughing at this. Bob's laughing at this. I'll just read the headline from CNN. It says, I always look orange. Trump rails against energy efficient light bulbs and democratic <laughs> environmental policies. So if any of you had a chance to see last week's Trump speech to the House GOP retreat, it was a rambling one-hour car wreck, in my opinion, and he somehow got on this whole light bulb kick. And I watched him for 10 minutes talk about the how the new bulbs are dangerous, you can't just throw them away. And, and he's, he, made, he said something like, God bless the incandescent bulb, and everybody claps. And I'm like, what, what, what century are we in? <laughs> it's just... So this was like... And, of course, the orange thing just really, I mean... That's the topper, right? Yeah. No, I listen, I don't disagree with him. I like incandescent bulbs. I do think and Bob will probably agree. I do think they throw off a better light. Do you do you know these high energy bulbs, they are more expensive. And um, but in terms of the environment, the Obama administration, as has most of the world, 
has decided to go toward the more energy efficient and a lot of these LED sort of bulbs. But the problem is now the Trump administration has turned back a lot of this regulation. And I just thought from a planning, a business planning aspect or a manufacturing aspect of companies, this knee-jerk regulation change with each administration has got to be quite costly, or you just don't pay attention to it and you're just going to put out and follow along with the Obama administration's regulations and just ignore Trump. Because you you just can't all of a sudden say, now we're going to make this kind of bulb. It'd be like if you said to Doritos, I want I want the next hundred bags to be round, and then go back to triangle again. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd have to re-dye and retool yeah, and redo I mean, everything. To, to, to all of a sudden say, I'm going to start making incandescent bulbs again when they've been phased out. I will say, I went to the dollar store and bought almost every incandescent bulb I could find, just because I do like the lighting. I guess I'm not energy efficient, but um, I figure I'm one person. Well, I think there are a lot of incandescent hoarders out there, frankly. <laughs> incandescent <laughs> yeah, yeah. hoarder. That's, we should get T-shirts made. I'm an incandescent hoarder. hoarder with a little bulb underneath it. Or Edison, <laughs> Thomas Edison's picture on it. But, yeah, you, you know, you're I right about his rambling. With good oh, T-shirts. I'm sorry. You're right about his rambling speech because then he went into plastics. He talked about straws and paper, <laughs> plastic plates. I mean, the straw thing, I thought a lot of the straw ban was because of wildlife, right? Wasn't it dangerous to wildlife? That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It was the next thing down on the list from those plastic things that hold six packs of soda together, which could get into the nose of a dolphin or something. I thought the straws were were just, and I also thought that there was a a statistic they had found that in most of the plastic garbage in the ocean, straws are these things that keep popping up. So like, well, we got to get straws. You know, if you're if you're Philips and you're manufacturing incandescent bulbs or you used to do it, you probably don't do it anymore. And if he rolls back the regulations, you're probably not going to care yeah. because you're selling a complete line of bulbs that replaces incandescence. And I will say that when they first came out, the energy efficient bulbs were not to my liking. The newest ones, though, I we have some bulbs in the living room that look like Edison bulbs, the filament yeah. and the glass, like the old, and, and, and they throw off great light. And I said, this is led. And Bob's like, this is led. They've come quite a long way. So no, you're right. They, perhaps have. In, they have, well, perhaps in Trump's world though, the bulbs he's using are 10 years old and that's on his makeup mirror. There's well, he's, little round bulbs around his Barbie makeup mirror. <laughs> you know, I, I, I watched part of it too. I mean, it really is kind of the crazy uncle at the holidays, you know, a la Archie Bunker. I mean, he knows a slim amount and just enough to be dangerous because he railed in everything, Paris, Peace Accords, windmills, and the whole deal. And uh, it's almost, if he wasn't, if he was just somebody talking, you'd probably find it comical, but he's the leader of the free world. And that's what's so dangerous about it. I had dinner with somebody, I forgot to tell you this, but I had dinner with a friend of mine and we were talking about Elizabeth Warren and how well she seems to be doing on the Democratic side. And uh, I had said, well, I think the Pocahontas nickname really stuck with her. And he says, you know, she should just embrace it, get bumper stickers made, T-shirts, all this stuff, Pocahontas 2020. So I jokingly went on line. You can't imagine the amount of Pocahontas 2020 merchandise there already is. (laughs) (laughs) But I wondered if I were, I liked a couple of the T-shirts. They say Pocahontas 2020, but I thought, would somebody call me a racist if I wore that? I think she should embrace the name. Why not? Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, what's going to right? happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, A, that, and B, what's the worst that could possibly happen? He's already uttered it. If someone blames her of a problem, you got to point it back at him. But he seems to be Teflon, at least from his party's point of view when it comes to this. Yeah. 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 Well, the orange president, thanks to <laughs> bulbs, energy, energy efficient bulbs. 
No, it's not makeup, kids. It's, <laughs> it's not the Barbie mirror has three lights out and he's dealing with, you know, a shadow or something. Tan, I don't know. The girly tan. <laughs> it's just the hair that I can't even figure out. No one can. <laughs> All right. At the uh, beginning of the podcast, we want to uh, we mentioned that Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, has been a partner of ours here on, on Button. And we want to thank them again. And again, thank all of you for subscribing, liking and uh, downloading. It's Criterion Month, uh, and Criterion is a studio that we love. They they put out some classic titles. When they do, it's usually a beautifully cleaned up print. My favorite aspect of a Criterion title is the ancillary content, the behind-the-scenes stuff, interviews, production sketches, everything that kind of you know makes a movie a movie, which I'm fascinated by because that stuff shows me the creative decision-making processes that people go through. So in honor of Criterion Month, we are going to be giving away a Criterion disc. So what's going to happen is this. Uh, Matt is going to play. He's our producer. Matt, our producer, is going to play an audio clue in a moment. If you know the name of the movie this clue came from, it's about nine seconds long, drop us the name of the movie at letters at focusgroupradio.com, letters at focusgroupradio.com. If it's an email you don't check too often, and include your mailing address um, so that we we could send you a disc because we've had some people win that I never heard back from, and I'm like, well, okay, we'll have to give your disc away. So, Matt, play the clue for us. Now then, Mr. Barlow, the shoes designed to fit the foot at rest. The foot curls a bit, you know, and Rigmo sets in. All right, there you go. Great. So if, uh, again, head over to focusgroupradio.com. Be sure to click on the Critics' Choice video logo. As John mentioned, it's Criterion Month, one of our favorite studios uh, coming from our friends at Critics' Choice Video, which is America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987. You can always rewind the podcast and listen to the clip again to make sure you win and follow John's instructions. And uh, we hope everyone has a great week. Be sure to catch our live show, which is The Focus Group, And you can find that information at Focus Group Radio as well. We're live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. We hope everyone has a great week. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com. 